90% of all scientists that have ever been alive are alive today. That's a lot of information, but don't panic. It's not an exact science. Hey, Shannon, how are you? Um, I'm, I'm good and very proud of myself. <laughs> oh, what, what, what'd you do? Uh, guess how many emails are in my personal email box right now? Less than 100? Oh, yeah. Yeah. Less than 10. All together. <laughs> Did you delete them? I deleted most of them. <laughs> All right. It was so scary. <laughs> and I promise the sun will rise tomorrow. Oh, we'll see about that, man. We'll see about that. Uh, yeah, so I sat down with my... The amount of thought I have put into email is the most ridiculous waste of hours. <laughs> like, and I'm sure everyone that uses email thinks that, right? Um, but in an effort in my continuing five-year mission to <laughs> alleviate stressors from my life, I have been unable to tackle it as we've talked about numerous times on this podcast um, because I have 7,000 unread work emails. But <laughs> my daughter was on COVID restrictions last week, you know, so we had to stay home for a week and I started working on this. I only have 2,000 unread emails now in my work email. And yeah, less than 10 emails in my personal email box. All right. <sighs> so it was exhausting, but it feels very good. And in the work email box, I just deleted everything from 2016. Just everything. <laughs> from 2016. <laughs> <laughs> Shush, John. It was very traumatic for five seconds. <laughs> Nobody remembers 2016, much less any emails from it. <laughs> traumatic. <laughs> I, could, I was unable to do the same thing for 2017. There's still a few things I'm like downloading from those emails. But... <laughs> Um, Is it so, flash player updates? Ooh, burn. <laughs> <laughs> Most of them are student papers that I'll probably also never read again, but <laughs> occasionally think about. <laughs> <laughs> Put it in your shame folder. Oh, man. No, I have a shame and a, and a Hall of Fame folder for those. <laughs> so. Ah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So even though it's completely pointless, I still feel like I was very productive. Mm -hmm. Nice. Yeah. And then I thought, you know, when I'm dead, I won't care about email at all. Why am I caring about it this much? Yeah. <laughs> and I should probably take 2017 and 16 and just delete all of them too, huh? Or I mean, 2018 and 17. And 19 and 20. <laughs> that seems ridiculous. <laughs> What if there's a very specific attachment I need? <laughs> what Email if... is not a filing system. <laughs> they will send you uh, the more recent version of it that's been updated for the last four years. Man, you know what I did when I learned this? is like, Or when I was going through here, it's like, yeah, the University of Policies have changed quite a bit in three years. So right. <laughs> it made me think that there's no reason to keep any of this. <laughs> Yep. <laughs> I mean, those emails were two presidents ago for us. <laughs> it's true. Yeah, yeah. Mm -hmm. uh, moving on. <laughs> yeah. 
How's your week been? <laughs> it's it's been pretty good. Uh, we're we're staying busy. I have been decoding some indecipherable lab view code. <laughs> mm-hmm. What vintage? Uh, oh, early nineties. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. How um, long has LabVIEW been around? I'm not sure the exact year, but late 80s. Okay. Yeah, it originally ran on uh, some of the early Macs, like the little box Macs. Oh, okay. Because it was originally a Mac thing, and then it got ported <gasps> to Linux, and then it got ported to Windows, and now to basically a Windows-only thing with very Man. limited Mac and Linux support. And so I was looking again today at computers, and I was like, I kind of want a new Mac, but... All the stuff runs on Windows now, so. Yep. And then it always has, I guess. But <laughs> I'm just very mad at my computer, but that's all right. <laughs> <laughs> so, yeah, I've been doing that. You know, it's if you've never programmed LabVIEW, imagine like you've got these little blocks, like some are addition and some are division, some are subtraction, uh, and you wire inputs to them. And then on the output terminal, you get the answer, and you can wire that to other things. That's great if you have to do like, I want to add these two things and take the cosine or something like, you know, okay, it's three or four blocks. Right. I found a piece of code with just explosion of wires all over the page. And (laughs) I would guess no less than 55 function blocks. (gasps) Oh, goodness. (laughs) And it's just all jumbled. So I had to print it out, blown up, each section of it blown up, and with different color highlighters, trace each. I was like, okay, so this is A plus B, and then you follow that wire, and it goes into this multiplier. It's like, okay, what well, goes into the other side of this multiplier? Follow that. Okay, that's sine Z. Okay. And anyway, it probably took me four hours to decode this one block of code. Okay. Yeah. Uh, and in case you're wondering, yes, there are better ways to write that in LabVIEW. LabVIEW has a text functional based programming paradigm for big, complicated formulas like this. But apparently, whoever wrote this did not know about that. Oh, they tried their best. <laughs> they, I mean, and it works, but <laughs> it needed to be rewritten. And man, you know, before the show, we were talking about like open source and getting your what you've done out there. Mm -hmm. Uh, There were a lot of references in this to like, see my notebook page 24. (laughs) And you're not talking about your notebook. (laughs) No, no. The person that wrote this code in the Uh, nineties. It's like, man, nobody even knows where that, that notebook is. I guarantee you in a landfill somewhere. Uh, uh, I would love if it was like hung off the side of the machine with a piece of twine and like a, you know, alligator clip or something. So it's like, well, man, this is why, this is why you document code. Yeah. <laughs> not write it down somewhere and put, oh. go find this notebook. But it's not the first time I've seen that. Uh, in fact, mm-hmm. it's not even the second or third time I've seen that in scientific software. Yeah. Like the nineties were different. A different beast when it came to programming. <laughs> well, and one thing that really bugs me, and I've seen this in several other cases, you look at the software. So, you, you know, somebody does something neat. And th- this is, happens even today. Um, like you see a model in a paper, and you're like, oh, that's really cool. I wonder what would happen if you did X, Y, Z. 
And so you code the model up, you know, it's something simple. Uh, and you're like, okay, well, first I should make sure that I've got it right. And so you try to reproduce what's in the paper and you can't. Mm. And so you email the author like, oh yeah, well, okay. The, the, the formula, formula nine in the paper is wrong. <laughs> uh, it's actually this. It's like, well, the paper is supposed to be, you know, the truth. Right. Exactly. Uh, the reproducible truth. <laughs> man, it has been, again, many times where I've tried to do something based on the paper and it doesn't work. And then you finally get, get a hold of the person's code or get a hold of them. Like, oh, yeah, well, we didn't actually do it that way because of X, Y, Z. Then why is it in there that way? Yeah. Uh, yeah. Again, publishing something I'm sure we will discuss sometime soon on here. Right. <laughs> but neither of those is our topic for today. No, correct. <laughs> we we maundered on too long last time and we didn't even get to talk about sending all that data you were collecting. <laughs> right. And we only touched on what you put your sensor in to protect it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> so let's start there because that'll be relatively short. Okay. Great. So enclosures. <laughs> the thing that I am the most in, you know, I bragged on in note cases. Um, right. The, the thing that I'm the most guilty of is reinventing the wheel with these. <laughs> I mean, that stuff's expensive though. So do your reinventions, are they cheaper? No. Oh no. <laughs> <laughs> They're Rube Goldbergian. <laughs> yeah. You know, I was uh, trying to do an infrasound system and, was gonna okay how can i okay i could get plywood and how would i seal it and okay then i have to paint it and until my wife said well, why don't you just put it in a five gallon bucket fine <laughs> and that worked great <laughs> mm-hmm. see sometimes so, you got to step outside your little sphere and look for right. answers <laughs> well especially now it's easy because with a machine shop i'm like well we'll just machine a custom case you could <laughs> but should you oh man i bet that's even harder because the answer to that's probably yes right, <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> hmm okay yeah so has i mean has amazon made this super easy basically to get containers for anything you want <laughs> i don't know about amazon so much uh, but, there are companies like Bud Industries that make all kinds of boxes. Okay. Uh, Amazon makes it easy to get some stuff, but the specs are pretty suspect sometimes. Mm, okay. Yeah, I gotcha. So I like buying from a distributor for that mm-hmm. brand. Yeah. Um, I don't shop on but, Amazon. That was not a plug, by the way, just for... <laughs> right. I mean, I do quite a bit. Mm-hmm. Uh, but yeah, so... You can buy cases from somebody like Bud or go to the hardware store and get five-gallon buckets or trash cans or coolers. Uh, All of those are options. Mm -hmm. But a few things that I didn't think about the first few times, because anybody can find a box. (laughs) Uh, Case pressure equalization. Okay, yeah. If you make your case really well sealed, like waterproof sealed. Mm. It's also airtight, right? 
Because mm-hmm. air is a lot harder to seal out than water. Right. Um, or it's <laughs> mostly airtight. So you put this thing in an unpressurized cargo hold in an airplane. Mm-hmm. Go boom. <laughs> Uh, and or suddenly the it other extrudes way. the O-ring <laughs> yeah. out. And yeah, so that's a problem. Uh, or the case can get inflated. Or worse, uh, had this happened once, we took the case to a lower, ele- much lower elevation. Oh, it sucked itself in. <laughs> we couldn't open the lid. We had to drill a hole in the <laughs> lid to vent it so we could break the vacuum. Oh, or, well, man. not really a vacuum, but just the pressure difference. Right. Oh, my gosh. That's unbelievable. <laughs> uh, so dr- drill a hole and then get some silicone and plug the hole up. Yeah, okay, fine. It worked, but oh. oops. <laughs> so do you have any, like, outgassing of anything problems, too? Um, no. You can, especially, like, if you put silicone in something and it's still wet. Mm-hmm. And then you seal the case. Mm-hmm. Uh, especially if it's just normal. Like if you go to the hardware store and buy normal silicone, right. it cures by neutralization of an acid. Right. Which takes every solder joint in that sealed case and, and corrodes just, it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So you have to get special silicone for that. Um, but no, pressure has been the biggest thing. And coupled with that is if you seal moist air in and then take it somewhere cool, everything in your mm. case gets condensation it's on it. Condensate, yeah. Okay. Mm-hmm. And if you're charging batteries, like we mentioned last week, they could be producing gas and creating right. a ticking time bomb. Right. Mm-hmm. Uh, so there are, there's a company that makes little vents that right. they're a membrane that is permeable to air slowly and impermeable to water. Okay. So you Step drill a hole in the case and screw one of these dudes in and the case pressure will stay equalized and water, like you can submerge it in up to three feet and it won't have water ingress. Okay. So stuff can bubble out if it needs to. Right, which I is mean, good, except it doesn't. Right, but it doesn't <laughs> solve the condensation issue necessarily. Uh-huh. Yeah, yeah. That one's a tricky one to solve. Uh, if somebody's got that one nailed down, call me. Uh, gnomes with t- paper towels. <laughs> <laughs> right. Done. <laughs> yeah, so you know, silica packets, uh, just coating the circuit boards with conformal coating, mm-hmm. uh, which is like a kind of an epoxy layer. Uh, There's lots of tricks that you can do. Uh, Or don't seal the case that tightly. Like, let it breathe. Yeah. Yeah. Everybody loves to say, you know, you can submerge it in three feet of water. Does it need to be? Yeah, when are you going (laughs) to... When the polar bear takes it and drops it in the... (laughs) Down that hole, it's going to be gone anyway, so... Right, you know, it's like, well, your seismometer is going to sit, you know... Let's say on the, well, what if it floods? If it floods, it's going to be going down the river. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) You'll hear it. (laughs) Right. Uh, So, you know, think about what you really need. Mm -hmm. I'm perpetually surprised by what just a little shielding, like a tarp, can do. Really? Oh, yeah. Layered on the inside or on top of the instrument in the field? Just like on top of the instrument. 
okay. if it doesn't produce noise issues for you. Right. Um, but like, you don't have to make anything waterproof. Like just a little piece of plastic over the top solves 90% of your water issues. That is funny. Everyone's like, yeah, this camera can go 30 meters in the ocean. Well, I don't really scuba dive, so I guess I don't need that. But I will buy it based on that. <laughs> exactly. Um, now, you know, there's lots of stuff with wind. and all, But I, I have used uh, for a radar to measure uh, speed spectra of <laughs> snowflakes that were falling. Mm-hmm. <laughs> my, my radome. I love this. Uh, I put the radar sender. All right. Well, the antenna in a trash can stuffed newspaper around it. And then I put two Walmart bags on top of it. Oh, uh, that was my favorite. <laughs> that's my Those favorite Walmart bags, I've ever done. <laughs> you know, I mean, that's what I talk about. Like a little tarp can do like, like the radar was perfectly dry. It set out in the snow for 16 hours and it's blizzard conditions. Almost. Mm-hmm. It was totally fine. Two Walmart bags in a trash can. There you go. Yep. MacGyver. <laughs> Now, I'm not saying that's, you know, a commercially available or viable production strategy, but, but do don't you overthink need it? it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Like you talk about this a lot just in general, um, but it is always interesting because, you know, we want the best, but do you need it? Right. <laughs> and it's hard to be like, well, no, I guess I don't. Because then I don't know if it feels like you're not doing the best science you can do. You know what I mean? Like... You're like, oh, well, maybe I'm, you know, even though you don't need it, like, it's okay. It's okay. (laughs) So, yeah. Hmm. And I've seen people that don't want to buy those fancy vents because I will say it's, we are going to move away from them uh, simply because the manufacturer is impossible to work with. Oh. Uh, they only sell through distributors and distributors have minimum orders in the many hundreds to thousands. Oh my gosh. And so and you when, need five. <laughs> I was like, when I call and say, you know, I want to buy 50 of these. They're like, no. <laughs> and one of them said, we'll sample you 10, but if you need more than that, our minimum order size is a thousand. Oh my gosh. And a thousand would be, <laughs> I mean, almost a lifetime supply. Because we only use them in a few instruments. Oh, just like the Mylar tubes for our sample holders come in kilometers. Right. One <laughs> kilometer is the minimum. <laughs> yep. So what uh, what I've seen people do and have considered doing is using a Schrader valve like on your tire. Oh, okay. Yeah. So you get to your yep, destination and you just take a pin and poke the Schrader valve in and it either sucks air in or squirts air out. Mm-hmm. And you're equalized. That makes a lot of sense. Yeah, it doesn't I mean, solve dynamic pressure changes. Right. But that's probably okay. But do you need it? Exactly. Unless you're sending it, you know, on a seabird to go right. <laughs> up to altitude and back down. <laughs> well, if it's come back down, it's okay. Yeah, that's it's just true. if you want to open that's it true. at altitude. Yeah, that's true. You got to train the bird. <laughs> Right. So the other two things that I see happen a lot and I've had happen. I still have happen. Sometimes everybody does. The first one is the greenhouse effect. Mm, Okay. Yeah. You make a little terrarium out of there or what do you mean? 
Yeah. Okay. You put a nice clear lid on your instrument so you can see a screen and say, you're like, well, I don't have to make the screen waterproof if I can just see through the lid of the instrument. Uh, uh, uh. Uh-huh. <laughs> I have had an instrument get so hot the SD card corrupted. <laughs> uh, yep. If it's sitting out in the Oklahoma sun in July and the air temperature is 104 and it's got a clear lid. It's 9,000 degrees in there. Yeah. (laughs) At least. Fahrenheit and Celsius. (laughs) Right. Yeah, that's that's the upper crossover point, right? That's right. (laughs) Don't look that up. It's not. Um, (laughs) (laughs) Oh, yeah. So, yeah, that's been a big, you know, venting, getting some airflow or just providing cooling even. Because mm-hmm. you yeah. think, well, this doesn't generate any heat, really. <sighs> and it but... doesn't until you seal it up. Mm-hmm. And it heats that same air slowly for the next 40 days. <laughs> yeah. Yes, exactly. Or 90. <clears throat> mm-hmm. so, right. Yep. Get that. And the last one is every Arkansas, Oklahoma, Missouri, every Southern person's favorite thing to talk about. Oh. Uh. Camo. <laughs> there were so many things that flashed through my mind, but I will say Bass Pro was one of them. So, <laughs> <laughs> um, are you saying that when you make them camo and then you can't find them later? <laughs> no, I'm saying make them camo so nobody can find them. Uh, but what about when you can't find them? <laughs> That's why you have a GPS. Uh, okay. What if you? Made your initial observations in NAD 27 and then. Yeah. <laughs> well, then, then you have a problem. <laughs> I just wanted to hear you get mad about coordinates. <laughs> <laughs> um, so. Yeah. Camo. Yeah, you, okay. You don't want people to find it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Correct. <laughs> that is correct. And also like wildlife will be attracted to things that are different color than they're used to. So it's not even just people, right? You put a big orange thing out there. That's the first thing wildlife's going to go look at. Just like yeah. a people, right? Like, be like, yeah, I want to look at that thing. <laughs> no, <Yep>. please don't. <laughs> and trying, you know, uh, there's some stuff you can't prevent like solar panels. But man, solar panels are great targets for people that want to go shoot stuff. Oh, such great targets. <laughs> Mm -hmm. They they like explode with glass. (sighs) Yep. They're big, so they can take a lot. Yeah, no. Mm -hmm. If you have solar panels in places that are visible, even just, you know, like from the road. Yeah, somebody's somebody's going to park on the road and shoot it. Yeah, 100%. I've never seen that in action. (laughs) Really? (laughs) Like, yeah, I've never seen it actually happen. Obviously, I've seen the aftermath of it. Oh, yeah. Never done it myself. No. <laughs> but like, I want to see these people be like, let's shoot at that thing. <laughs> but yeah, that's absolutely true. Yeah. So. Or somebody thinks it's valuable. Like, I mean, there's oh, no telling yeah. how many Top Con base stations over the years. Oh, my Lord. I've got stolen. <laughs> oh, man. Mm-hmm. Because somebody says, well, this looks expensive. And then they take it to a pawn shop and... They won't touch it. <laughs> yeah, they're like, what the? <laughs> and it is expensive. <laughs> it is expensive, but it's useless unless you have all the other expensive stuff, too. Mm-hmm. Yep, exactly. That is exactly right. It's like a seismometer is a very expensive instrument, but it is only a very expensive instrument for a very small number of people. Mm-hmm. 
Yes. Because <laughs> everybody else, it's worthless. Yeah, no one cares. <laughs> it's worth whatever the scrap metal price is at that time point in time. Mm-hmm. Exactly right. Which is all some people care about, but right. Mm-hmm. Yep, that is very true. So, do your Nanook cus- cases come in? I saw that they did come in different colors, right? Do they come in camo though? They do. Uh, they they come in different colors. They don't come in camo. Oh. Um, if it's something that's going. If it's small and going in a polar place, I don't worry about it. Well, even if it's big and going in a right. polar place, I generally don't worry. Right. I'll make that bright orange uh, because their visibility is more important. <laughs> Correct. You put an instrument in a white case and send it to the pole. <laughs> Say goodbye to it before you deploy it. <laughs> I see somebody's going to be real mad. Um, <laughs> but even if it's going to be land-based, if it's small... Sometimes I don't care because you can easily cover it or it's going to be in a barrel anyway or get buried. Um, Burying your instrument is a fantastic way to shield it from the sun, shield it from temperature variations, uh, and keep it out of sight. And couple it closer to the thing you're trying to measure in some cases. (laughs) Right. Uh, So burial can be very good. This is not a getting rid of bodies podcast. <laughs> right. Um, putting it high can be good. Mm-hmm. If you put okay. it very high in a tree or something, if that works for you, if you're, you know, say doing some air sampling, uh, most people won't even see it. Yeah. Yeah. Much if less have the mm-hmm. effort to go get it. <laughs> hmm I think about that with books all the time when I'm walking through the library and being like, how many people get books off that bottom shelf? Right. You know, so, mm-hmm, correct. Uh, you can hide it in plain sight with a bunch of other stuff, like getting permission to deploy instruments at a cell tower or somewhere like that. Mm. That's got that's... a security perimeter already. Mm-hmm. Uh, or you just go hide it in the woods. You can either spray paint it, uh, or my favorite trick is getting uh, XL or XXL camo t-shirts and just putting them over my instrument. That sounds great. Hmm. You could get that, uh, you know, ghillie suit stuff too. Right. Then no one would touch it either. This all sounds like uh, if you're also making geocaches, you could listen to this podcast. <laughs> right. <laughs> These are all excellent geocache ideas as well. <laughs> found my geocache logbook a while back. Oh, yeah. Nice. Back from when you paper logged it and went and yeah, confirmation is, codes on the website. Yeah, that that's way, way back. That's nice. That, that's a great app, that's for sure. <laughs> <clears throat> anyway, that's a whole other thing. <laughs> so, yeah, I mean, that, that's mostly what I have to say about cases. Mm-hmm. Okay, gotcha. It's not complicated, so, just don't make it complicated. It, yes, exactly, but do you need it? I think that's always a thing that you should... <laughs> <laughs> or any of us that are doing science before we over-engineer everything, right? Like, do you need it? <laughs> right. Um, so you've got all these cases, and you're going to do all this stuff, and it's full of these instruments. But not all the instruments you go back. I mean, in the old days, right, you'd have to go back out and get them and then connect them to a computer and download everything. But that's not how it works now. Well, okay. Sometimes that's not. That's it works. not the only way it works now. <laughs> right. So okay. telemetry is more affordable now than it used to be. Okay. Mm-hmm. 
So benefits to telemetry, you get your data back in real time. And you know if something's going wrong with the instrument now. Yeah. You don't have to, you know, I go to the instrument every six months. And if it failed the day after I left, I have (laughs) five months and 30 days of no data. (laughs) Oh. Uh, but it's still expensive, and it's more stuff. It's way more power. Right. Uh, power is a huge concern. You've got to have an antenna, so you got to have some kind of antenna mass. So there's a lot more setup. It's a lot heavier, and you got to pay to get the data back somehow. So there mm-hmm. are plenty of downsides too. Hmm. Um, so do these Antarctica things use telemetry? Uh, yes, they do, as a matter of fact. Oh, okay. I would imagine that's super expensive. I mean, for them, probably not for you, but. <laughs> uh, well, so yeah, we're using satellite telemetry. Mm-hmm, yep. And so with satellite telemetry, we're sending the data up to the Iridium constellation of satellites. Right. And you can get an Iridium signal anywhere on Earth, anytime. And send these little data packets back and forth, which is incredible. That is super incredible. As an aside, I saw my first Iridium flash last year, and that was crazy. I thought for sure we were being invaded by aliens. (laughs) Yeah, Iridium flares. When these satellites, because they're solar panel configuration, they make like a little flash in the sky when they go over. Mm -hmm. It was terrifying. (laughs) Uh, Anyway, go ahead. (laughs) So Iridium is a great way to do it if you don't have much data to send. Okay. So depending on how many data credits you buy at one time, uh, you can get the price down pretty low. But to give you an idea of what I mean by not a lot of data, you buy data credits for packets of 50 bytes of data. (gasps) Not kilobytes, not megabytes, not gigabytes. Bytes of data. 400 bits. Oh my gosh. Okay. (laughs) Yeah, I mean, it would take five of these credits to do uh, what used to be the length on tweets. Mm -hmm. I was just going to say, can you even say, yes, I'm on with that amount of data? (laughs) Yeah, so you have to get clever. Uh, and send data in a not as straightforward format as you would mm-hmm. like, probably. Right. But if you're yeah. a seismometer that's producing a hundred data points a second, iridium is not for you. Correct. <laughs> that's incredible. I had no idea. Okay. Yeah. So you know we're t- a tilt meter, let's say, and we're producing one data point an hour. Yeah, iridium's great. It's less than a thousand bucks a year. Hmm. Okay. Uh, so that's that's great. And you do have to pay a line rental charge every month, too. Mm-hmm. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. So Iridium's good. Uh, but if you've got high-rate data like a seismometer, most of the time you're using a high-frequency VHF or UHF link. Okay. So you've got an antenna pointed at a base station somewhere. That makes sense. So here you have to have infrastructure. Mm-hmm. So not and, Antarctica. <laughs> well, actually, exactly. do some, are there any spots in Antarctica that do have that kind of infrastructure? 
There might be some limited things next to the okay, bigger, like Mimardo, but no, right, not really. Not really. Okay, gotcha. But like, okay, you're monitoring a volcano. Sure, you could set up a few base stations around the base of the volcano and have all your instruments on the volcano have mm-hmm. antennas mm-hmm. pointing at those base stations. Right. And then you only have to get internet to three or four places. Okay, that makes sense. Okay. Um, somewhat expensive. Uh, this is a setup that I've employed several places for, I would say, 1 to 50 or 100 hertz data. Okay. Uh, like if you're doing well monitoring or something like that. Mm-hmm. It's a good solution. Uh, typical ranges are several miles to maybe 10 to 20 miles if you really push it. But, you know, I kind of, if I get over 10 miles, I start thinking about other ways to do it. I mean, that would be the case in, like, volcanoes, too. Got a big old shield volcano if you're everywhere around it. Ten miles might not be that far. Well, but there you've got elevation on your side. <laughs> oh, that's true. And it's circular. <laughs> right. <laughs> okay. All right. What do you do when it's really far apart, then? Well, you can get more powerful radios. That's one option. Mm-hmm. Uh, you can set up a bunch of repeater stations. Yeah. That's another option. And I mean, probably is there the more common one? Really? I mean, do you get a lot of loss with that data loss or anything? Not really. No. As long as you have an adequate, adequate set of repeaters, not really. Okay. All right. But you also then suffer from, you know, you've got more equipment that's running all the time, which means when one yeah. piece goes down, the whole thing fails. Right. Exactly. Or you build redundancy, which is expensive. Mm-hmm. Okay. Um, so that's where, you know, I've done some mesh networks of sensors where sensors pass data to other sensors and they figure out which one can get to the internet. Oh. So okay. every sensor is a repeater and a data producer. Right. That's cool. But you can, you can flood that network relative, you know, if you had a hundred seismometers at a hundred Hertz. Mm, right. Yeah. It's not going to work. Right. Hmm. Uh, so those are, I would say the traditional options. Now, what's becoming a little more ubiquitous now is Wi-Fi. Right. It is becoming cheap enough to just broadcast Wi-Fi for 20 miles. (laughs) Have all your devices connect directly to the internet. Oh, my gosh. And by cheap enough, I mean thousands of dollars an instrument. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. That's crazy. That's unfathomable from my undergrad days. You know what I mean? Oh, yeah. Mm-hmm. Everybody had that 50-foot Ethernet cable they carried around to plug their laptop in when they were working on group assignments. Mine was purple. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I kept that cord for so long. <laughs> mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, you know, wired connections... I promote them as much as I can. Yeah, they're still the best. <laughs> they're the easiest, they're the fastest, and they're the most reliable connection you'll ever get. Mm-hmm, exactly. They turned all of ours off. I took that purple cord up to my office as a professor and plugged it into the wall and was like, what? What happened? <laughs> mm-hmm. Well, and just even between instruments, a, a box of Ethernet cable let's say a thousand feet of ethernet cable. Mm-hmm. It's pretty cheap. Really? 
Yeah. Yeah. Cheaper than telemetry equipment. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And definitely more reliable. Hmm. Yeah. So I have uh, out in the woods with somebody run. I would say probably between half a mile and a mile of cable between stations before. Oh my gosh. Okay. Because it was the cheapest and most reliable connection. I mean, I would think animals would find that eventually. So they, they could, uh, depends on where you are, but there's also a really cool little machine that you can buy (laughs) that vibrates the cable about an inch or two (gasps) under the surface. Oh yeah. Okay. Yeah. They came and when they wired us up with internet, um, did that same thing. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So they, you can go buy one of these things. It's just got a little V on it that you stick the cable in and then it vibrates and you silently slip the cable beneath the surface and you're done. That's awesome. I didn't know you could get those things. Oh yeah. Interesting. You're somewhere with a hard hat and a clipboard, you can do anything. That's (laughs) so true. (laughs) Hmm. How would you even... Oh, there it is. Vibrating cable barrier. (laughs) 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 How awesome. (laughs) Okay, that's awesome. Well, that, that solves that problem then. So I'm still a proponent of that. I mean, yeah, cables break and all that, but man... The number of times I've had to go replace, especially a buried cable, mm-hmm. compared to the times Wi-Fi equipment has got hit by lightning. Oh, yeah. Yeah. I would I think. Mean, I know I sound a thousand years old. <laughs> Let's go bury the cable. But when it, when it is a field instrument and it is in the middle of nowhere, you don't want to go back. <laughs> Correct. Yes. Um, it's expensive I feel- to go back. <laughs> <laughs> and I feel like this like telemetry has been around long enough now that, you know, like everyone wanted that, but now we're shooting back. We're on that, you know, we're on the sine wave of, <laughs> of, Oh, Hey, yeah, this was an old way to do it, but it's still the best way to do it. <laughs> I mean, there's still some old tricks like modulating, uh, audio tones on AM transmitters. <laughs> mm, <laughs> they mm-hmm. can go, hundreds of miles and your data sounds like woo, 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 woo. And it sounds like something out of star trek uh, fcc is significantly reduced bandwidth availability to do things like that but there are still places where you can mm-hmm. uh, but there is a new technology that i am i want to say cautiously excited about because Everybody, it's another buzzword. Everybody thinks it's the answer to everything, and it's not. It's the answer to some things. And that's called LoRa. Okay. Yeah, I learned about this at your um, at your workshop, and I hadn't heard of this. This was very interesting. Yeah, so it's this idea of low-power radio transmission and making this giant, they call LoRaWAN, this huge wide-area network of low-power transmitters. Mm-hmm. Okay. So the idea is there's a bunch of gateways. I could have a gateway in my house. You could have one in yours. Businesses could build sets of LoRa gateways. Mm-hmm. That you either had to pay to have access to, or they're just open for anybody. And that gateway will receive transmissions from LoRa devices and pass them on to the cloud. 
So we're just crowdsourcing our data carrying capabilities here. Right. You're making a mesh network of these gateways maintained by people, corporations, cities, whatever. Everybody. Mm -hmm. Uh Now, of course, most people are going to lock theirs down, but the transmissions can be encrypted, so no big deal. Mm -hmm. The beauty of it is it's very, very low power and can travel tens to hundreds of kilometers. I'd say many, many tens is the practical limit. That's really cool. So what are the downsides of this? The data rate. The, okay. Yep. (laughs) So what are we talking about? So the data rate itself is not miserable, but the FCC says because everybody is sharing the small slice of spectrum Mm. uh, that you're, I can't remember off the top of my head. I want to say you have to be below, it's either 1% or 2% duty cycle. Oh, okay. So, you know, let's do a little bit of quick math here. There are 3,600 seconds in an hour. 1% of that is 36 seconds. Mm-hmm. So that means in an hour, your transmitter can be on a maximum of 36 seconds. Okay. That could be pretty useful, though. Yeah, and like I said, the data rate's low, especially for long distance. But if if all you're doing is, you know, the temperature of my greenhouse is this. Right, yeah. So what? Mm-hmm. But again, if you're a seismometer, not going to work. Yeah, well, they're always the problem. <laughs> right. Well, I mean, there are lots of things. If you're collecting data more than, you know, I would say once every many minutes, it's not practical. Mm-hmm. But it's very cheap. I mean, you can go to... Adafruit or SparkFun and buy a LoRa capable transmitter for under twenty bucks. Mm-hmm. That's not bad at all, then. So mm. you know, Shannon, you could set up your your chicken <gasps> coop to be automatically. You could close it from an app on your phone via LoRa. Okay, so we're going to talk about that later. <laughs> I'm sure there's just... some open source automated chicken coop project already out there. I guarantee you there is. I guarantee you. I was just thinking I needed to go close the chicken coop and it's very dark, so they're probably very scared. <laughs> now, there you go. <laughs> huh. Great. All right. Well, I've written that down now, so. <sighs> okay. Wonderful. And then, you know, the kind of the last one is cell. And this has been the fallback <laughs> telemetry method for <laughs> 20, 25 years. Uh-huh. <laughs> yeah, that's been my personal fallback telemetry method as well. <laughs> but now it's a lot easier because I have unlimited data. <laughs> right. But I mean, I remember the day you go buy a flip phone yeah. and you would buy this data cable that would plug into the bottom of the flip phone. It would keep the phone charged and then it let you make basically an indefinite call mm-hmm. like a dial up modem <laughs> yep. and send your data out. Yep. Mm-hmm. So all these burner phones are getting buried with your instrumentation is then. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you would open up the, open up the data cabinet and yep, there'd be a phone strapped in there. Yep. <laughs> That's awesome. And, you know, now you can get it all on a chip. So you can even buy a company called Particle has these little Arduino uh, boards. 
that have the cell modem built right on them. No kidding. And they're like 50 bucks. That's awesome. <laughs> and we've used them before. I haven't used them in any kind of production because I haven't found them to be super sustainable at any kind of scale. Yeah. Uh, mm-hmm. uh, but no, when we had, you know, I want to throw this instrument out in the yard and see what it'll do before we had our whole property covered by Wi-Fi. You throw one of these things on it. That's awesome. Or we go to somebody's manufacturing facility and I don't want to touch their network. Yeah. I don't want to be the point of entry for some attack. <laughs> uh, yeah, we'll just throw one of these at it for 50 bucks and, you know, less than that a month in data. We get data and we never touch their network. They don't have to. IT people love it because they don't have to talk to us. Heck yeah. Uh, as long as there's a cell signal, but in field work in geology, that's not a given. Right. Absolutely not. I've definitely sent these to people before and they've driven around their field area. <laughs> it's like, oh, getting nope, the light's red, the light's red. <laughs> it's getting better though, I will say. There it are is many getting places. Better. Yeah, there are many places I go now, especially in like Nevada, where I definitely did not have cell service the first time I went. The one thing to consider, and I have made this mistake before, is always keep a local backup of your data on the device. Mm, okay. Yeah. Don't just telemeter it. Mm-hmm. Because guess what? Yeah. A lot of the times we're interested in catastrophic events. And sometimes they make everything fail. <laughs> Exactly. They take out the whole infrastructure. Now there is no yeah. internet. There is no uh-huh. cell connection. And all of the data that would be really cool to see yeah. can't get out. And it's just <laughs> evaporating into the ether. Mm. Oh, that's painful. Yep. So, mm-hmm. backups, kids. <laughs> so, yep. And, you know, it can be rolling. You know, just keep a month. Because if some huge catastrophic event happens, you'll be going to visit your station. Don't worry. Yep, that is true. <laughs> and I mean, we'd hate for it to get corrupted, right? Right. Or, you know, <laughs> it's a, a good segue, but we'll come back to it. Oh, no, uh, John, I couldn't tell. It was so oh, no. good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, or <laughs> you, you, even if it's just a rolling backup that you keep, I want to hit this point one more time. Oh, okay, okay. Because <laughs> you don't want to lose data if your cell connection goes out. You want to have some, you know, having that telemetry is valuable because what if your SD card goes out? Mm-hmm. Uh, there are, if it can go wrong at some point in the field, it will. So you should build up as many redundancies yes. as you can. Yeah, that's absolutely true. Because there's nothing worse than uh. realizing <laughs> that you didn't get the data. Yeah. She's like, mm-hmm. I was doing a calibration the other day that took, I want to say it was six and a half hours to run. And it was all automated. I wasn't doing it, but, uh, and then I accidentally overwrote the file. Oh no. <laughs> in an irrecoverable way. Mm-hmm. And I had to do it all again. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And it could be worse than that because it could be your, you know, actual dissertation that's happening. <laughs> right. Exactly. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah. Uh, so now you want to try your segue again, Shannon? Okay. Yeah. So you'd hate for that data to get corrupted in any way. <laughs> Which brings us to everybody's favorite segment of the show. <laughs> Fun Paper Friday. Oh, yay. Um, yay. Boy, I'm real glad that this happened. So the Ig Nobels are always a good, no, they're a great source <laughs> yes. for us. Um, and I'm going to say, John, that I'm supremely disappointed because obviously when you said that the Ig Nobels were out and you sent me the one you wanted to talk about, I clearly went to the website, right? Improbable.com that talks about the improbable research um, and the entire biology <laughs> prize has like 10 references to cat sounds and you better believe we're going to hit every one of these <laughs> i picked some of the ones that i knew you wouldn't <laughs> it was the first like biology is obviously alphabetically the first one that's always on there and i was like oh, i want to read that one i want to read that one i've read that one i want to read that one <laughs> so mm -hmm. but the one you picked is Pretty amazing, I will say. And I would classify it as political science, which should really surprise most of you. Mm hmm Yes. <laughs> Very much surprising you chose this. <laughs> it is Obesity of Politicians and Corruption in Post-Soviet Countries by Blavatsky. <laughs> Single author paper. Um, <laughs> this is great. So... This facial recognition software is real weird, but essentially they're looking at pictures and using a couple of different ways, um, which is, I guess, sort of old knowledge, um, to determine people's body mass index. And when you say people, we're talking about this specific set of countries um, and then comparing their BMIs to their... <laughs> Thing that I did not know existed, <laughs> this corruption index, right? Um, and seeing if there are any correlations, the corruption perceptions index. And there are. <laughs> right. So the three metrics they used to correlate with BMI are the Transparency International Corruption Perceptions Index, mm -hmm. the World Bank Worldwide Governance Indicator Control of Corruption, and the Index of Public Integrity. So there are not one, but three metrics for this. Yeah, which is insane to me, but okay. <gasps> right, mm -hmm. and they used a neural network and then some other machine learning that they trained to see, yeah, based on this photo of these cabinet members from these 15 post-Soviet countries, what do we think the BMI is? And they just used you know, Google image search, basically. Uh, they searched for the person's name, surname, and then 2017 as their search term. And tried to get the photo that most resembled a passport photo. So an unobscured frontal <laughs> image. Oh. oh, I think the worst part about this entire paper is that now there's all these pictures... <laughs> And your BMI is right out there. <laughs> like, <laughs> um, I definitely searched a lot of these people to see full body images of them, though. I don't know if you did that. 
I did well. not. Oh, okay. Yeah, just to see if that if my mental neural network that does these calculations was accurate. <laughs> and was it? It was pretty close, actually, because I was trying to think. I'm like, there are a lot of fat people that have kind of skinny faces or vice versa. And so, like, how how good does this look like it's doing? And while I'm obviously a doctor, but not that kind of doctor, yeah, it seemed pretty legit. So right, yeah. and so th- they uh, they picked these 15 post-Soviet countries because, well, they're known to have a lot of corruption, <laughs> mm-hmm. and they say you know this corruption leads to increased cost of public works projects, decreased productivity of public works projects, um, reductions in quality of life for citizens, and apparently fat cabinet members. Yeah, this is great. Did you catch that part too, though? They said they used to do this corruption index based on Swiss watches. (laughs) Right, how many Swiss watches were imported? Uh Uh-huh, yeah. I thought that was super funny. And yeah, how many Swiss watches were imported and then they could see pictures of them wearing it and it said until everyone got, you know, understood that. And so now all these cabinet members don't wear their Swiss watches in public now, which I thought was hilarious that that was was an actual thing in political science, right? But you can't hide your fat. Like, it doesn't matter what size that shirt is, honey. We all know you're fat. (laughs) And... What was interesting to me and counterintuitive was all of these corruption indices that they compared the BMIs against, lower was more corrupt. And so I would have thought a higher corruption perception index would have been more corrupt. But no, it's actually lower is more corrupt. Mm-hmm. Yes, it's like it's like sediment size. <laughs> Right. right. The and fee scale, negative numbers are bigger. <laughs> and man, they there is a strong linear correlation between all three of these yes. indices and BMI. Yes. And so the leader of Estonia had the lowest BMI and a really high corruption perceptions index. And I thought, oh, wow, because I didn't think that was that bad compared to these other ones. But then I realized that the higher numbers were less corrupt. <laughs> right. And then you get down to somewhere like uh, Uzbekistan or Turkmenistan or mm-hmm. Tajikistan yeah. that have very high mean BMIs mm-hmm. and very bad corruption perception indexes. I mean, so this whole paper is like the source of, you know, talking about fat cats, right? Not actual right. cats. We'll talk about those next week, but... <laughs> You know, the people getting more fat at the top from the spoils of all this stuff is clearly there's an actual data behind this now, which is very interesting. Right. Um, I mean, this paper was, I'm sure, partially in jest, but also not. (laughs) That that correlation is fairly convincing. Right. Correlation doesn't imply causation, but in this case, it is a strong indicator. Yeah, yeah, it certainly is. Mm -hmm. Man, well, I guess if I was the leader of Uzbekistan, I'd be pretty corrupt then based on my BMI, but you know, whatever. I think in that case, you know, speaking of that, I, after we finished recording, I was planning on going to the gym anyway, but I really, (laughs) that's more important now. Uh, That's right. (laughs) Perceptions. That's a killer.
<laughs> right. Uh, so if you would like to send in your proposed fit uh, or variable to fit against the corruption perceptions index for 15 post-Soviet countries in the year 2017 <laughs> and compare that to the BMI of their cabinet members or would like to do that for any other country, we would love to see that data. Shannon, how can folks get a hold of us? Absolutely. Send us your charts. Show at don'tpanicgeocast.com. We're on Twitter at don'tpanicgeo. John is at geo underscore Lehman. I'm at Shannon Doolin. As always, thank you to our Patreon supporters. If you would like to support us on Patreon, you can do so. Patreon.com slash don'tpanicgeo. And until next week, remember, don't panic. It's not an exact science. Any opinions, findings, conclusions, or recommendations expressed are solely ours and do not necessarily reflect the views of our employers or funding agencies.